Well, good morning. So this is the last, the last part of um, Corinthians we're going to do, and then we're going to Romans starting next week. So Mike and I are all pumped up about Romans, and uh, just were talking before the service started about uh, the blessings that people have derived just in studying the book of Romans. But I think we've, we, as a body, I, I know Mike and I have, we've derived great blessing from teaching Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And it's been, it's been, you know, kind of unique and interesting. And Paul pours out his heart, right? Hasn't he been pouring out his heart to the Corinthians? And so, so I want to review a little bit and then finish it off here. So, okay. So I've um, called this last part Paul's exhortation, salutation, and benediction. And so, um, and I like to use, uh, I, I use different uh, outlines. It's nice, I know, it's nice to have an outline. So basically, um, we're going to look back at chapter, uh, at verse 5 a little bit and talk about that. And then we're going to go into the last um, verses, 7 through 14. So that's the plan. And, um, okay, so I'm just going to talk about, actually, my review is just going to be talking about this phrase, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. And a very interesting um, Verse, many people take it as personal faith, but this has a definite article, and so it's talking about a particular faith, and if you trace through scripture, you'll see if you do a word search and if you have a computer, you can search on the faith, uh, and you'll see it shows up in various verses, it shows up in Jude, talking about the, the, um, the faith that was once delivered, uh, perpetually valid, and it shows up in different parts of Scripture. And it refers to uh, the body of truth, uh, objective truth from the Bible, uh, Christian doctrine, if you will. So it's not so much focused, it's definitely not focused on personal faith. Even though I'm going to try to do a, a balance here, I, I thought after last week that maybe uh, I didn't want to sh- uh, short sell personal faith. Because what we're going to find here... The object of the faith and the object of our personal faith is all in the Word of God. So they both have the common source, but I want to be clear on, on what's what. So that's, that's where we're going here. Okay. So testing yourself, this is from Merriman, testing yourself is saying that you are measuring yourself against the objective truth in the Bible. Interesting that Bob, we had a great... Uh, Sunday school today, and we talked about the truth. And I, well, I was, I was just kind of biding my time. I, I wanted to say more, but I held myself back because I, I was all excited about the, the objective truth from Scripture. So this, so this is talking about, so remember, these were believers in Corinth. And it wasn't that they weren't saved. They were saved, but they were off the rails. They, they had been following these false teachers, and so they weren't walking in the truth of Scripture. So he's he wants them to have them examine Scripture and look at their lives and say, what's going on here? There's a disconnect. So that's where he's at. So I like this. So, so actually, in, in listening to what, uh, from several years ago, uh, what Merriman taught, he actually had asked, asked this question, which is, how do you test yourself against the objective truth of the Bible? You think, well, that sounds like an impossible task. I mean, 66 books... How many paragraphs? How many words? Is that what he's talking about? Well, um, 
so actually, so, so basically uh, what he did here, he kind of gives just some parameters to it. <clears throat> First of all, do we know the truths of Scripture? And I don't think that means that we know every single thing about Scripture, but do we know the core of what Scripture is talking about? It's focused on our Savior, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's the objective truth about our Savior. So it's objective truth, and we're to trust and rely upon that objective truth for salvation and for our, our, our Christian life. And we're to trust nothing else. It's to be what God has said. We're to trust Christ alone, basically. Okay. So what I liked is that uh, in, in thinking about this, um, you know, one of the things we talk about is the, the magnitude of our salvation from our Savior. There's a past aspect of our salvation, a present aspect, and a future aspect. And in a way, we can use that as a way of thinking about how do I test myself. So I thought uh, it's kind of good to go over this. This is kind of will be repeat for a lot of you folks. But let's think about the aspects of salvation. First of all, I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I am being saved presently right now in my Christian life from the power of sin. And I will be saved from the presence of sin. And some like to call that which I don't, it sounds kind of maybe more highfalutin, if you will. Oh, I lost my picture there for a second. Ah, I can't without my notes. Okay, there we go. Okay. Um, you could talk about uh, the penalty of sin would be um, justification, sanctification, glorification. You've heard that probably many times, but some people refer to it that way. But we're talking about I have been saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. So let's look at each of these. Uh, and this material comes from a class that was taught in the past in major, on major Bible themes. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. Refers to a holy past event, a past point in time uh, that occurred in your life. It's complete and unchangeable. You know, God is saving you. You're, you're not saving yourself. So it's a completed action that, that he has done. It's from, it's from the penalty of sin, eternal death to eternal life. And so here's several verses that speak to that past event happening in your life. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Then in John it talks about, He who believes has passed out of death into life. Another verse in John, You shall never perish, no one will snatch me out of my hand. And actually if you look carefully at that verse, and Mike's been teaching that in John, it's you're actually in, in the Son's hand and you're in the Father's hand. We're in two hands, if you will. Wow, we're in, 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 the, in the Son's hand and the Father's hand. So nothing can change that position once you've trusted the Savior because He's maintaining it. Then lastly, based upon that, there's no condemnation. Down the road, the Lord's not going to say, Oh, by the way, oh, I forgot something. You know that sin you committed 20 years ago? I'm still remembering that one. No, no, that's been paid for. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's a past aspect of our salvation. And certainly, as uh, he was talking to the Corinthian church and us as well, when he talks about testing yourself, you can say, well, what did I trust to become a believer? Did I trust in, in uh, some, some event or some uh, special thing in my life? No, I trusted in what God said in his word and I believed it. Okay, so the present tense of salvation. I'm being saved presently from the power of sin. And this is one that's not quite as well understood. This is called sanctification, which sounds kind of spiritual. 
But it's, this is pretty, and this is what this is what Romans is going to be all about. This is this is the bread and butter of Romans. Salvation is is from the reigning power of sin. We are now separated from our sin nature. It is it is from the power of sin, the sin nature, to being alive to God. And so, a couple of verses. I'm using the Weiss translation, which I, it was one of my favorites because what Weiss does, he tries to take the original language and then expand it with additional words and phrases. So a key verse in that, which we'll be studying down the road here maybe a year or so from now, <laughs> knowing this, that our old self, or better old man is actually better, uh, was crucified with him in order that the physical body dominated by the sinful nature might be rendered inoperative. Uh, like our brother Howe, taken offline, put in idol. The sin nature is still there. We didn't, didn't get eradicated. It, it's just offline. And, and that's a wonderful thing. With the result that uh, you no longer are rendering a slave's habitual obedience to the sinful nature. And then another key verse in Romans, Romans 6.11. You be constantly counting upon the fact that on one hand, you are those who have been separated from the sinful nature. And on the other hand, that you are living, you're the living ones with respect to God in Christ Jesus. Kind of, kind of wordy, but I think, you know, the, the point is you've been separated from the reigning power of your sin nature. And that's wonderful. It's still there. And God, by, and by faith, you're to abide in Him. And you can have victory in the Christian life. Okay. And that's, and that's certainly a topic for, for, uh, examining yourself, right? Are you in the faith? Are you, are you walking with the Lord? Are you abiding in what, are you, do you believe that you, You've been separated from your sin nature. Do you believe what God's word has said? <clears throat> so future tense. So this one would be, are you counting upon this is going to happen, right? <laughs> and we all are looking forward to this. I will be saved from the presence of sin. I'm saved into full conformity to Christ. I will no longer have a sinful nature. I'm saved from the presence of sin, the sin nature, to the absence of sin. A couple of verses. In First uh, John three two, it has not appeared as yet what we shall be, but when he appears, we shall be like him, uh, for we see him just as he is. And this one has protected for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. And then lastly, will be perfected a good work in you until the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, so I thought so. So that's I'm going to kind of switch gears on you here. So I've been talking about. The, the, the body of truth talking about the <clears throat> called the faith, which is basically the objective truth from Scripture. Well, there's also objective truth about us in Scripture in terms of our salvation. What are we to trust in our, in, a pers- in our personal faith to become a believer? So this is kind of a little overview of that. <clears throat> so uh, in 115 passages in the New Testament... Salvation of a sinner is declared to depend only, with quotation marks, only upon believing. In 35 other passages, it's declared to, to be depending upon faith. So the two words are very, they're synonyms of belief and faith. One is pistuo and one is pistis. And they're, they're the same family of words. So we're talking about the same thing. Belief, faith. God alone can save only through the sacrifice of his son. 
man is to believe the message concerning his son, right? The message is Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was, ro- and he was raised on the third day. Believing, this is, I always like this, believing is the opposite of doing something. It's trusting another instead. We're trusting what God has done for us. That's, that's, what, that's what saves you. Salvation depends upon believing. Uh, I'm sorry. Salvation depends only upon believing. So here's a list of things that, that some people think they have to have to be saved. Salvation is not, is, um, I can't read it right. Salvation is not required that one believe and pray. These are all good things. Believe and confess sins. Believe and confess Christ. Believe and repent. Believe and make restitution. All those things are good. In fact, I can, I can think, when I became a believer, I did all those, all those five things. I can think of one restitution. Well, I said, i got to go talk to some people. i got some fences to mend. There are things that I've done in my life that I, and I wanted to make restitution, but I'd already trusted the Savior at that point. So, so hopefully this kind of distinguishes, and this is, you know, they both... Both the, the faith, the body of doctrine, is what Paul's asking the Corinthians to examine. They're already saved, but here's the same body of truth that we're to trust uh, to become a believer. Okay, so hopefully that clears up that point. So let's go on. So today's verses, I'm not going to reread it again, but the, one of the cool parts in here is uh, verse 11. It's going to talk about five things, five commands, five imperative moods that he's going to give us about um, what he encouraged the Corinthians to, to go on with, because this is he's wrapping up his, his second letter to them. Okay, so let's start here. Now we pray. Oh, let me just go here. Well, first of all, he's going to give us some, the motivation for this testing. He talked about this testing. Now he's going to give us the motivation. Now we pray to God that you do no wrong. And Weist has it that you do not even do one bit of, of evil, that you do not do even one bit of evil. So one of the questions is here, is this a general, generic statement? He's, he's trying to encourage the Corinthians here. He says, don't do wrong. Can you imagine when our kids were young, you say, have a good time, but don't do wrong, right? And, and we probably have said that to our children. But just kind of a big generic thing. I, it seems like, and I like what Merriman did here. Um, so, so, so what is, what is the, what is his point here? What, what's he concerned about? What evil, not one bit of evil, what's he concerned about here? And it seems like he's concerned about the evil that was going on in the Corinthian church. And Paul, Paul has spent two letters that we studied for several years now talking about the evils in the Corinthian church. So he wasn't just talking about be a good boy today. He's talking about don't go back and go after what has already uh, upset the Corinthian church. Stay focused on the Lord and don't get involved with these evils of the, of the Corinthian church. So I think that's what he says. When he says, do no wrong or, or not one bit of evil. So now he said, now we pray to God that you do no wrong. Not that we ourselves may appear approved. So what he's going to do now, he's going to talk about First, he's going to talk about, do I appear to be, because I'm an apostle, a super person, and I never do wrong? I don't want you to have that impression. It's kind of the idea. And it may appear, uh, uh, the appearance of something brought to light, approved is this, this word, dokimos, uh, 
to be approved. So Paul did not want to lord it over the Corinthians, like we, you know, we're the super, we're apostles, and of course we only do good. Uh, but he wanted to humbly encourage them. He takes that approach, and then he does a flip side in the next part of the verse. But in strong contrast, that you may do what is right. Paul desires uh, this is a desire for the Corinthians, even though. Paul and his team, the others with him, may appear to be unapproved. And the reason they're unapproved is because of the constant battle he's had with the false apostles over his apostleship. And this word unapproved, and actually we studied this word earlier, and actually uh, I think it was Joanne asked me last week after class about this word. It's a, it's a negation of dokimas, a dokimas. And actually it comes across kind of plain and vanilla here. But if you look in the King James translation, it comes across much stronger translated. It's translated reprobate or counterfeit. And it's actually used like in Romans uh, 128b. Uh, God, is, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. So it has a, a pretty strong context translated that way. It's the same, same word. So, so they basically thought the false teachers were claiming that Paul... He wasn't a true believer. You guys are connected with this guy named Paul, and he's teaching all kinds of... And he's not really a true believer. That's what they're, they're about. And he says, that's not the case. He said, we want you to walk in the truth, even though it may appear that people are casting doubt upon our faith. Okay. So here's, this is a cool statement. <clears throat> and, you know, Paul makes incredible statements, and, and you know, so hopefully we can understand this one. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. So once again, it's Paul and his team. So Weiss translates this, we're not able to do anything against the truth. And against is that cool word in the Greek, face-to-face. So it's, it's like you're face-to-face with the truth, and you can't do anything against it. So Paul's really saying, as a preacher of the gospel in Corinth, I am so face-to-face with the truth that I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to give you anything else but the truth. A pretty incredible statement. <laughs> so, so what is the truth in context? So, we're, we, this is we had this. The, what's the truth in this context? It, I think for Paul, it was, it was preaching. What did he preach in, when he was uh, a missionary in, in Corinth? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He the the body of truth uh, about uh, about uh, Christ's life in you. So, Paul is so convinced. This is from Merriman, which I liked. Paul is so convinced they are on solid ground with the Corinthians. That he makes this categorical statement. And then he, then he says an additional thing. But only for the truth. And for here is huper. In the interest of. So he's saying. Paul said I only promote the truth. Paul is firmly fixed in the position of the truth. So I think Paul, what Paul is saying is. You know I've come to you Corinthians. I'm face to face with God's truth. And that's all I, all I have done with you, and I don't deviate from that. I'm a man, yes, but... So that's what his statement means, even though it sounds like kind of arrogant. I do nothing against the truth. I'm face-to-face with his truth, and I can do nothing else. I stay in the truth, in the interest of the truth. Okay. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. Paul's kind of been here before. We've heard this kind of before. So now it seems like he's going to do a play on words. He's going to use this uh, weak versus strong um, uh, tension, if you will. So we know Paul has already said, 
I am well content with weakness, for, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So we know Paul's opinion about, about weakness. Weakness in the Lord is a wonderful place to be. But he detects something else, I think, in the Corinthians. He wants the Corinthians to think about, quote, their strength. Are they doing it in their strength? I think that's, it's almost sarcastic, I think. Uh, he wants them to think about their strength. Uh, this we also pray that you may be made complete. So think about your strength, Corinthians. But what I want for you is that you're a complete man in Christ. So Paul's prayer is as follows. Your completion, that's what that word means, uh, made complete. Your completion uh, to render fit, completely uh, fitted out, harmonious. This is a word about maturity in the Christian faith. And here's a cool verse that, that speaks to that. Colossians 1.28 We proclaim Him, Christ, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. That's, that's God's desire and that's, that's, that's Paul's desire that we're complete in His Son. Complete meaning the idea of maturity. Okay, so we go on here. For this reason, I'm writing these things while absent. So Paul, you know, Paul was accused of this many times. They say you, he wrote much stronger than he was in person, right? And that was his preference. He would rather talk about the, the details that really were super, that were important and that he might get hotter in the collar about. He would be, He'd much rather do that than come in face-to-face with you and have a heated argument with you. He didn't want to do that. He wanted to avoid that. So that, with a purpose that, when I'm present, I need not use severity. He wanted to avoid the caustic approach. He wasn't, he wasn't a confrontationalist. He wanted to have no, confront, no confrontations were fine with him. <clears throat> but he said, he said, I'll do it if I have to. If, it's, if, if it gets to that point, I will do it. In accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me. So Paul had the authority of an apostle, which was, you know, that's the, the, the highest human uh, position you had. And, but his, that was to be used for the building up, not the tearing down. Paul's words are meant to build up, never to tear down, never to, in other words, literally cast down. He didn't want to, to, to shame them into things. He wanted them to see the truth of what he was teaching. Okay, so now we come to this, this cool verse. So there's five, five cool things about this verse. So there's, <clears throat> uh, finally, brethren, so this is Paul's final admonition, then he has his, his salutation benediction after this. All five of these are imperative, and I like how Merriman uh, phrased it. This is God's will. I, I, I like that. This is God's, this is God's will for the, the Corinthians, and this is God's will for us. Rejoice. It comes from charis, Cairo. A personal salutation meaning joy to thee. Literally, present tense, active voice, keep on rejoicing. And we have many verses that speak to that. So that's number one thing he wanted to, the five last things to tell the Corinthians. Be made complete. And it's kind of important here to kind of catch on to what the, um, so this is keep on being fitted out completely and harmoniously. And this is in, let's see, I think it's, uh, find it, yeah. Okay, this is in, actually in the passive voice, believe, believe it or not. Be made complete. You're, you're being acted upon by the Spirit of God. The idea is, is to grow in grace and the knowledge of Him. 
And the verse that speaks to that is, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and there's no division among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind, in the same judgments. You know, one thing I kind of, in studying this, is that we're to be made complete, not so much to be harmonious between one another, but to be harmonious in tune with the Lord. And we want each brother and sister to be that way. We want each brother and sister to be uh, made complete in the sense that they're in, in, we know they're in the union um, positionally, but conditionally they're walking with the Lord. So it's more that relationship. And that's, I think that's why it's passive, because it takes the Holy Spirit to accomplish that. Okay, number three, be comforted, paralecleo, that's so, I think of the Holy Spirit, every time I see this word, I think of the Holy Spirit, because that's what he's called, he's called the comforter. <clears throat> and this, this one's in, um, this, is an, uh, this is another passive, as you might think. <clears throat> Present tense, passive voice, actually I had it up there, I don't know why I was looking for it. <clears throat> the idea is to keep on being exhorted and comforted, and this is kind of a cool one. This is one where are we open to brothers and sisters coming to comfort us? That's always good, but exhorting us maybe not so much. You know, comfort's good, but when you get into our business, maybe you don't want want them to be around. But this word is kind of both of those together, if you will. Do not reject uh, exhortation. You in receiving the action. So Ephesians. talks about this. I sent him, and this is a, a fellow worker with Paul, to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us, that we may comfort your hearts. So Paul sent this fellow worker to comfort their hearts in Ephesus there. And number four, be like-minded. And this one here is in the active voice. Uh, keep on minding the same thing. The body of Christian truth. Another thing where you're focused on, you want your brothers and sisters to be focused on the, the truths of the Christian faith. So these are kind of, like, I think, Paul's key last points. And they're, you know, we could delve down deeper in these, but they're all kind of, kind of something to really think about here. Philippians 2.2 Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united, united in spirit, intent in one purpose. And once again, it's the purpose is not so much we're harmonious with one another, we're harmonious in in focus on the Lord. And the fifth one, live in peace. Keep keep on living in peace is the idea. I didn't actually have a verse for this one. It kind of dovetailed into the last one. And the God of love and peace, and I would say this is God's character. You know, Christ uh, talked about his kind of love in... uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, love, joy, peace. That's, that's a character of Christ's love. We'll be with you. This statement is about God's love and peace being with you. It's a future tense. And here's a verse for that. What's this beautiful? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, or called in one body, and be thankful. Okay. And then, uh, then okay, um, we got we got the holy kiss, and we got greeting the saints. So the holy the holy kiss, you know, apparently that was. I keep thinking of like in France. If you go to France, you know, you get kissed in the cheek, even if you're a guy. So and it's and it's okay. <laughs> That's what they do it, and it's okay. All right, enough of that. 
So now the, the last the last verse is um, you know this is quoted this verse is quoted so many times many people end their services with this verse the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all just marvelous things and once again you could spend we got three three aspects here grace love and fellowship so this this is uh, the totality of God's grace is seen in our Savior. Uh, the Father's love motivated him to communicate to us that love in Jesus Christ. And then lastly, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is, you know, Paul's desire here, this is from Constable, was that he wanted to see the Holy Spirit working in their lives and, and the fellowship that resulted from that. Okay, so my final thoughts. I know we've been through a couple of years in Corinthians. And, and this gentleman, this is uh, Bennett, uh, as quoted by Constable, he kind of summed it up. And this is, this is somewhat speculation because, you know, Paul didn't leave a detailed itinerary of where he went. I, I went here in that day. He didn't, he didn't leave his diary with us. He left it. He kind of did in, these le- in his letters, right? His diary is kind of in his letters. But, so we have to kind of look between the lines. But it seems like, it appear, according to Bennett, it appears that this letter, 2 Corinthians... Like the severe letter brought a change in the hearts for the following reasons. Number one, Paul spent three months uh, there soon after, uh, soon after upon his arrival. Now, uh, there, I'm trying to think where there is. <laughs> okay, let's go on. <clears throat> um, the Achaeans, so, so what we find, if you look in Romans there, you'll see that Achaia, both of the, both Achaia and Macedonia contributed to the collection for the saints and then the letter to the Romans which we're going to be studying shortly will probably was written from Corinth soon after Paul's arrival and and at that Paul doesn't seem to at that point he doesn't mention anything about being in Corinth that Corinth was a problem so all the all his heartache over the Corinthians seems to have been resolved uh, so so we have kind of reading through the lines we have um, some some good news that all of Paul's um, several letters and his heart his heartfelt uh, concern for the Corinthians was fruitful. So it's a pretty amazing letter, amazing thing we learn. And it's interesting. I I've learned through this that um, God speaks to us through letters written between people and churches. That's how He's chosen to do that. You think, well, Lord, why don't you just put it out in a in a sheet? One, two, three, four, five. Here's the things I want to tell you about. Well, he, didn't, he hasn't chosen to do that. He's chosen for us to read what he uh, has inspired through Paul to write to some, well, a problem. And he will teach us by resolving that problem. That's how he's going to teach us. So it's, and that's why, actually, that's why it takes time and study to, to take in the truths of Scripture. You just don't read it one time through. Oh, that's it. I've... I've heard people say, well, I've read that book. I read the Gospel of John. Okay. What did you get out of it? Well, they don't know exactly. God wants us to spend time with him in his word. That's what it's all about. Okay. So let's close. Dear Father, we thank you so much, Lord. We thank you for your care for us. We thank you for our time in Corinthians. And we thank you for your care for this body. In Christ's name, amen.